We're going to ask Kyle and Bria and Silas and Abby to come on up. They're going to sing a little song for you as we begin. And uh, I'm pretty sure they haven't sung this song here before, but if they did, I'm sure you don't mind hearing it twice. Uh, just by way of update, Kyle is now 16 and driving, and I've realized that there's a whole new level of parenting when you... <laughs> When you hand your keys to your, to your offspring and then sit in the passenger seat and you're like, oh, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. The just shall sit in the passenger seat by faith. Yeah. No, but he's a good driver. So Kyle's now 16 and Bria's going to be 15 in a couple of weeks and Silas is 12 and Abby's 10. So they're going to sing a song for you called How Deep and I think you're going to enjoy this song. Let's, uh, thank you. Well, I'd like to 
publicly thank my family for all they do to stand behind me in this ministry. If you think that, you know, this going and sewing ministry is the ministry of Kirk Hubick, you'd be mistaken. It's, uh, it's the whole family and I couldn't do it without them. So just want to say thanks publicly to my family for coming all this way with me and serving with me. It was, uh, Bray was out there with me on Friday, actually on the streets, and she had some appointments at the IWK, so she was out with me passing out tracks. And actually, Bria, actually for the first time, uh, stood there and played the violin with her case open for about two, two and a half hours. And she quickly found out that you can make about 18 bucks an hour playing the violin. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> and I know my daughter, every time I'm loony or toony, she just... So it was, uh, yeah, who knew? Who knew you could make 17 bucks an hour playing the violin? She, uh, she's, I think she says at one point, I think I could get used to this. That was good. Um, yeah, so um, I also want to, before I start here, I'd like to just publicly also um, tell you folks how much we appreciate your prayers for our family. And I know that some of you uh, pray for us regularly, and we really do appreciate that. And some of you give so that we can pay the bills, and that's much appreciated. Very humbling, really. And uh, I think the older I get, the more I realize how, how uh, desperate I am for the prayers of God's people. I, I, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that I covet your prayers, uh, because uh, it's interesting days. It's interesting days, I'm sure, as you're aware, to to serve the Lord, uh, especially, <clears throat> especially when I'm not, you know, most of my preaching is not to Christians anymore. When I, it's quite different, actually, the preaching that I do is mostly on the streets and it's mostly to people who aren't expecting to hear a sermon. You guys come expecting to hear something about God. But when a person's walking down Spring Garden Road on the way to Tim Hortons, they're not necessarily expecting to be encountered about their soul, but so, you know, you get some interesting reactions. On Friday, I pass out, passing out gospel tracts, and within eyeshot of Bria, of course, <laughs> you know, and uh, just keep an eye on things, and, and uh, <clears throat> a guy, he said, what's this all about? And I says, oh, this is, this is good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, really? He says, I am Jesus Christ. <laughs> I said, uh, really? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, you'll forgive me, I, I, I don't mean to offend you, but I don't believe you, I said to the guy. And uh, he, after a while, we got talking, not too long, and, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden he started changing his tune, trying to convince me he was a Christian. And I was like, oh, well, that doesn't, anyway, so uh, it's amazing. It's amazing some of the things you run into is just... Uh, John well spent probably half an hour on Friday talking to a, a philosophy student about different things. And, but the one, the one thing that's uh, always exciting and encouraging, no matter what, and believe me, there are all kinds of different theories, different, different uh, <clears throat> philosophies, different beliefs out there. Um, it's quite good and quite encouraging and quite refreshing to know that uh, this here is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? This here is the Word of God. I mean, this is the final authority. And it, once you boil everything away, and once you get rid of all the rhetoric and all of the foolishness, either this is the Word of God or it isn't. And, and, 
and so when, you, when, you, when our faith is, is squarely on the Word, and the, not just the Word of God, but the God of the Word, boy, it, it, it's, it makes things so much easier. It makes, it makes the, the waters far less muddied. And we can just stick to the gospel. We don't have to go on that little road of, you know, Descartes and all this philosophy stuff. We say, hey, you know what? You've got to die someday. Ten out of ten people die. And, sh- and share, you know. Sometimes I get a little funny. I'll say, hey, you know, if I'm on Spring Garden Road, I'm going to preach something. I say, you know, I wanted to get my facts straight just to make sure, you know, I checked this out on the Internet. This is information that is for sure because I wouldn't want to mislead anybody. Ten out of ten people die. You know what I mean? Like, we've got to stand before God. There is a God. We've got to stand before Him. And every idle word a man speaks, he's going to give an account on the day of judgment. And so uh, this, is, this is good news because everybody, I, I can't remember if I shared this last time I was here or not, but I've been uh, studying a little bit as far as apologetics. And one of the beautiful things about the gospel, and what, about humans, about, about being made in His image, is that every human being knows that God exists. Did you know that? You will hear people tell you that there's this new term floating around. It's becoming quite popular. It's called being an atheist. Okay, friends, there is no such thing as an atheist. I am an a-atheist. I don't believe in atheists. I believe that God has put in every human heart the knowledge of himself, that there's a tree right there, and there must be a tree maker. Trees just don't happen by spontaneous combustion or through blind random processes. There's a, and, and you have to actually tell yourself lies for multiple years to actually convince yourself that there is no such thing as a divine creator. But, uh, and that's what the Bible actually teaches in Matthew chapter 1, that, that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Now, I didn't say everybody's a Christian. There's a difference. Uh, the only, there's really only two people in the world, as far as I can tell. I might be wrong on this, but I don't think so. There's those who surrender to Jesus Christ, and we call them born-again Christians. And then there's those who suppress the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's in Romans chapter 1, that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, they might know not all, all the details. They might not know John 1.14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. They might not know that there's this blood-stained cross where the precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed. They might not know about the resurrection, and that's why we must go and tell them. But it is so refreshing to know that they know God exists. And there's only two types of people, those who suppress Him and those who submit to Him. And so, as we go out with uh, joy... This, this has really helped me quite tremendously in the last couple of years to know that uh, we're on the winning side, that this is the Word of God, that God is real, and they know it. And, but there are those, uh, unfortunately, John uh, 3.19 rings true. This is the condemnation that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Um, uh, winter was tough. Did anybody else find winter tough? <laughs> Well, no, I, somebody needs to repent there. I, was that you, David? <laughs> Listen, winter was tough. I don't have to tell you winter was tough. Winter was tough on everybody. It was tough to be out there. It was tough to find a spot to be out there without being in people's way. There was so much snow everywhere. Um, there was one time, there was this nice lady. Uh, we, we 
gave her money for her spot. She had a nice little spot, and she was begging for money. And we said, hey, uh, if we give you a donation, could we stand where you were standing for 30 minutes? And she's like, sure, because there was nowhere else to stand almost. So we flipped her a $10 bill, and she's like, yeah, I'll stand over there for 10 bucks. So, uh, so we used that spot in front of uh, John and I, in front of uh, uh, McDonald's on Spring Garden Road to... Uh, because really, if it, there was really the only spot to stand without being in everybody's way because of all the snow. So winter was tough. Not only was winter tough geographically with all the snow, but it was tough because people, people didn't, for the most part, for the most part, people didn't want to talk about God. They just wanted to get home. I mean, they, if they weren't shoveling or working or sleeping, they weren't doing much else this past winter, to be honest with you. So... Uh, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. We did have some good conversations and stuff, but, but it, was, it was definitely an uphill battle. And, oh boy, I was really excited once the snow started to go and the temperature started to get a little warmer. And I noticed the older I get, <clears throat> the more I like the warmer weather. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. <laughs> I can see why people go down south in the winter for sure. I'd ask you to pray with me concerning our Saturday outreaches. Uh, the... the attendance uh, of the volunteers has really dropped off. I had to cancel three Saturday outreaches already this year because I was the only one out. So if you would consider praying with us about Saturday outreaches, and I put it in an email, and some of you I know are praying with us about that. So if you pray for us about Saturday outreaches, usually we start around 11, go till 1, 2, 3, something like that. If you could pray about that and maybe even consider joining us, we'd appreciate that. And I also... I uh, want to say something, too, uh, since he's not here. I uh, just want to take a second and tell you how much I appreciate John Wells. Uh, I know that you folks appreciate John and Janice, but he has been a real blessing. His, his, um, his enthusiasm has been really, really exciting. I've been wanting to say this for a while, but he's always been here. So now he's not here, so I'm going to talk about him. But, uh, but he's, he's been a real blessing. He's, you know, you folks all know. Yeah, probably much most of you, if not all of you, know that he's, uh, he's quite an encouragement. He loves the Lord. He loves his family. He's solid on the gospel. He's unapologetic. He's unashamed. And he's an inspiration to me, really. Like, he was parking his car, or, I guess, I don't know. He was parking his vehicle, and uh, he says he's, he's driving along, trying to find a place to join, trying to find a par- spot to park. And he's, he's verbally negotiating a deal with his Bluetooth, uh, a guy that he's hiring in Vancouver, as he's parallel parking into his spot. And I'm like, how do you do this, John? Like, you're unbelievable. Like, he's, uh, he's very talented. The guy can multitask like nobody I know. And uh, anyway, pray, pray for him, too, because he's, uh, you know, you probably already know this, but his desire is for evangelism. I, I, I don't think I told you anything there you don't know. But he feels a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, you know, he's got responsibilities and he'd love to, he'd love to go full-time in the Lord's work and obviously that's probably going to happen here in the next five to ten years. But anyway, just encourage him as you, as you can and uh, when he makes the big step of faith to uh, trust God and go out in full-time evangelism, I trust that you folks will be behind him 100%. He's been a real blessing and I thank the God for him for sure. And, yeah, I think uh, that was pretty much all I wanted to say. Well, I did put a little post on Facebook the other day. How many people saw that post I put on Facebook by, uh, about that guy Bernard that I talked to? 
Okay, some of us. Anyway, for those who didn't, sometimes this ministry can get a tad discouraging in the sense that you don't see a lot of fruit. You know, uh, when somebody, as I said, comes in here, they're expecting to hear about God. But when they're walking down Spring Garden waiting for a bus, they're not necessarily expecting to receive a gospel track. So we don't see a whole pile of fruit. So this guy comes up to me on Friday, <clears throat> and his name is Bernard. And I didn't recognize him, but uh, he says, hey, he says, you're still doing this, are you? And I says, yeah. I says, Shake his hand, who are you? And he goes, oh, I'm Bernard. He says, you don't remember me, eh? And I says, no, I don't remember you, sorry. He says, oh, he says, I don't expect you to. He says, he says you were preaching down the street on a milk crate, uh, probably 2009 or 2010, he says. That's five years ago. Yeah, he says, you were preaching up there on the corner there. We were down closer to the Starbucks at this conversation. But uh, he says, you were up in front of the, the public gardens. You were preaching on a milk crate. And... Uh, he, and then he started telling me some of the things that I told him five years ago. He remembered some of the things that we had discussed. On a scale of one to ten, guess how much that encouraged me? <laughs> Probably about a 96, okay? I, it was just really cool. And he, I, I offered him a, a, an ultimate questions. Uh, he also said this. He said, uh, he said, Kirk, I am beyond hope. He said, God can't help me, I, I am unreachable, or something like that. And I said, mm, I don't think so. And he said, yeah, he said, Kirk, you don't know what you're talking about, believe me, I know what I'm talking about. And I said, I said, uh, well, God converted all kinds of people, like mur murderers like Moses and Paul. Uh, he's like, yeah, well, he's kind of mumbled a little bit, and I said, no, listen, I don't, uh, I would encourage you to stop thinking that way. God, God can do anything, man. He can do the impossible. And so anyway, um, I offered him a, a booklet called Ultimate Questions. You guys are probably familiar with Ultimate Questions. I love that booklet. Uh, he said, no, I'm not going to take that. I already took it and I already read it. I was like, oh. So anyway, so I gave him an email address and asked him to drop me an email. We'll get together for a coffee and sit down and talk some more. And I haven't heard from him, but I'm hoping... But anyway, that was kind of encouraging. Five years, and he can remember specifics of what we talked about. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter number 19. In John chapter 19, what we've been doing... Now, uh, you've got to think back. <laughs> Some of you um, will have to take my word for it, because we really didn't have any intention of going so long from me, from this series that I'm doing. But as the weather turned out on... February 15th, we had one of the biggest snowstorms of the year, and I was supposed to be here February 15th to do this, but the Lord had other ideas, so it's been quite a while, so what I'll do is just quickly review. What we've been doing is going through the seven statements that the Lord Jesus made while he was on that cross, and some of you will have to remember back quite a ways to last year when we talked about the first four things already. In the book of Luke chapter 23, we talked about Jesus's a plea for forgiveness. And this has been called his intercession when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then we talked about a promise of salvation, Christ's intervention, where he turns, Jesus turns to one of them and says, one of those thieves on the cross, and says, Verily, I say unto thee, today you will be with me in paradise. This was his promise of salvation because the man 
very specifically repented. You could tell. He, do you remember the first thing that the, that the uh, thief said? He, he addressed it not to the Lord Jesus, but to that other thief who was blaspheming him and giving him a hard time. Hey, if you're really the son of God, he says, the other guy says, save yourself and us. Hey, while you're pulling people off the cross, I'd like to get in on that deal, right? He wasn't concerned about his sin. He wasn't concerned about the, the integrity and the, what, the injustice that was going on here. He just wanted to get off the cross and live. And, and do you remember what the other uh, thief said to him? The man who was pardoned of his sins that day. He didn't address Jesus at first. He addressed the other man. And he rebuked him. Do you remember that? And he says, do you not, do you not fear God? Like, buddy, what's the matter with you? You're going to meet your maker in a matter of minutes or hours. Don't you at least fear God? We're getting what we deserve. That's what he said. Luke 23. We're, we're, we're getting a death penalty and we deserve to die because we're, we, we broke the law. We did. They didn't just steal apples, by the way. You don't steal apples and die. You, 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 you've got to commit a violent crime to die. So they were probably home invaders. They probably committed a murder in the midst of their stealing. And uh, so this guy's like, he's admitting his guilt. He's admitting that he's dying and he deserves to die. And he says, we're getting what we deserve. But this man between us has done nothing wrong. So there's his repentance. And then he turns to Jesus. And you remember the first thing he says to Jesus? He says, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who has a kingdom? Only a king. So he's recognizing Jesus Christ as Savior, as King, as Lord. And on basis of repentance and his faith, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Praise God. I, I, I rather enjoyed that passage. I just love it. And then we talked about a provision for his mother uh, back last year sometime. Woman, behold thy son. And then, and then he says to his disciple, behold thy mother. And then I'm pretty sure last time we were together on this, we talked about a petition to the Father. A petition to the Father where he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Matthew chapter 27, it's also mentioned again in Mark chapter 15. As a matter of fact, that last one, all of the seven statements of the Lord Jesus are given only in the book of Luke and John, with the exception of that last one I just mentioned uh, Christ's isolation, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That's mentioned in Matthew and Mark. All the others are mentioned only in Luke and in John. So what we're going to do today is we're going to turn here already in your Bible to John chapter 19. And today's statement of the Lord Jesus is the shortest, but it's in uh, John chapter 19. We've seen a plea for forgiveness, a promise of salvation, a provision for his mother, a petition to the Father, now, he's going to, now we're going to see a pleading for relief here in John chapter 19. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture because of who's saying it and because of exactly what he's asking for. You see it here with me? It's in verse number 28. And after this, he just finished saying, Woman, behold thy son, behold thy woman, thy son. Verse 27, or 8, he says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, let's say it together, I thirst. Let's pray. Lord, we have a hard time 
in our humanity understanding how the Son of God could lack anything. Yet at the same time, he did. He, he was 100% God and 100% man. And so at this moment, he said, I thirst. And God, please, uh, in these minutes together, please keep us free from distraction. Please help us to focus, Lord, on you and your word. Lord, this is, this is, this is Holy Spirit-breathed words. This is the inspired word of God. Help us to understand it more clearly, clearly and understand why Jesus Christ, while on the cross, even though seven things only came out of his mouth as far as is recorded in the scriptures at least, one of, them, one of those things that he said was, I thirst. So God, help us to see why and help us to appreciate even more as a result of being here, not just the work of the cross, but also the one who hung on that cross. And we pray it in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. The last three statements of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be revealed yet. And the first one of the three, final, is this one here, I thirst. This is, this is if you will, this is in the realm of Jesus Christ's body. I thirst. This is a body thing. Okay? It's not necessarily a soul thing or a, or a, or a spirit thing, but it's a, it's a body thing. It, it, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. We're going to see in the last three statements that all three of these statements relate to the body and the soul and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here in statement number five, he says, I thirst. It's a body thing. In a moment, he's going to say, it is finished in John 19.30, and that's a soul thing. And then he's going to say, in his last statement in Luke 23, he's going to say, into thy hands I commend my, my spirit. That's a, so body, soul, and spirit, I find that more than just a coincidence. How the Lord Jesus talks about the, 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 all three of these statements have to do with his body and his soul and his spirit. We're going to see in, in this uh, passage today, we're going to see not only the cry of the human one, the cry of the human one, because Jesus Christ was 100% man. We're also going to see the cry of the Holy One as being 100% God. And this, this, uh, this, this, this wonderful truth of the, of the incarnation is, is very uh, prevalent, obviously, uh, for each of us. It's, it's throughout the scriptures. We can go back to John chapter 1 for just a moment, keep a marker of some kind in John chapter number 19, realizing, uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, I, re I learned this just a couple of years ago and it surprised me a little bit that nowadays the debate, even though there's no debate, really, if you believe the Bible, but the debate nowadays revolves around the deity of Christ. Was he actually God? Well, in the first couple of centuries, the debate was, was he actually a man? I don't know if you knew that or not. People are like, well, obviously it was God. I mean, nobody, I mean, walk on water and raise dead people and, and uh, you know, all the things the Lord Jesus did, make deaf people to hear and make lame people to walk. I mean, obviously he was God. But apparently in the first couple centuries, the debate revolved around whether Jesus Christ was actually human. And so you'll see some, some verses in the scriptures where he literally requests something to eat and he eats before his disciples after his resurrection and show him and teaches him things and, and he, he, uh, he wept. Did you ever stop and think about John 11, how Jesus wept? Now, does Jesus not know that Lazarus pretty soon is going to be coming out of that tomb alive? Of course he does, but he still wept. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why did he to Jesus, why did he say to Mary, 
hey, uh, Mary, behold, you know, behold your son, uh, John, your new mom. You know, like, why, did, why didn't he just say, oh, you know, I'm busy. I'll, I'll take care of that after I raise from the dead in three days. I'll be back in just three days. Don't worry about it. He, he's a man. I mean, he's watching his mother being in anguish. I mean, I can't think of a more hideous thing for a mother to endure than to watch her son being publicly executed. So his heart was full of compassion for his mother, his humanity, his mind. His, he, I mean, he must, have been, he must have been feeling for Mary. And so even though he had it all under control, just to set Mary's mind at ease, he says, hey, you know, I've got it taken care of. I know I'm your oldest son. And Joseph almost for sure was out of the picture. So, so it falls upon him to take care of his mother. Hey, hey Mary, you know what? Just so she doesn't have to go through anguish and, and mental torture for three days. Hey, here's your son. Here's your, here's, your, here's your mother. And so the Lord Jesus, as he approaches this tomb, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He weeps. Why? Because he's human. Because there's people weeping. At times he was hungry. At times he was joyful. At times he was upset. And he made, a, cat, he made a, a thing of cords and he put them together and he drove out the people who were corrupting his house of prayer. And so the Lord Jesus, as, a, as the human one, he, he cries out, I thirst. If, if my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The last statement he made was the torture of his soul. Then this statement, this I thirst, was the torture of his body. And you'll notice in the scripture here as we go back. Oh, no, we haven't looked at that verse in John 1. It's John 1, very familiar verse. I encourage you to memorize it if you haven't memorized this verse yet. I encourage you to memorize verses of the scriptures. And this is one of the, you know, if I was only going to memorize 30 verses in the Bible, this would probably be one of them. And the word was made flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And while you're memorizing that verse, it doesn't hurt to tack verse 17 on the end of it, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 17 is actually one of the greatest verses, well, a very important verse for evangelism, because if you're full of grace and truth, that's a good way to be. A lot of people are full of truth, but they got no grace. If you type in open-air preachers in YouTube this afternoon, you will find uh, some guys that I won't have anything to do with because they got all kinds of truth. They got no grace at all. I don't recommend hanging around those guys. And then, the, and then there's other people. Oh, they're just all grace. And uh, they got no truth. They're just, oh, you know, uh, uniformitarian. No, everybody's, everybody's going to heaven eventually. You know, you don't need to. There's no such thing as hell. I mean, and then those people are all over the place too. So we need to, we need to be like the Lord Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And so we see in these verses the wonderful humanity of Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. Uh, let's turn back to John 19. Well, before we go to John 19, yeah, let's go to John 19 next. And then we're going to see this little statement. Jesus doesn't just say, it doesn't say, after this, Jesus said, I thirst. You see in John 19, verse 28, it doesn't say, after this, Jesus said, I thirst. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture, what, might be fulfilled. Interesting. Next time we're together, we're going to talk about, that's going to be one of my four points about it is finished. In the statement, it is finished, I'll give you a little, 
little trailer for next time, we're going to see the consummation of prophetic scriptures. We're going to look in the Old Testament and see how the death of Jesus Christ was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. We're going to see the culmination of personal sufferings. We're going to see the completion of a perfect sacrifice. And we're going to see the conquest over the power of Satan. All in next uh, sermon in John chapter 19 and verse 30 where Jesus claims it is finished. But in John 19, 28, we see that it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, you may want to put a little something, or maybe your Bible already has it there. Mine didn't, so I had to put it in. It said, I put a little one with a circle next to the word fulfilled. And then in your margin, you can write in Psalm 69 and verse 21. So let's go very quickly to Psalm 69 and verse 21. Jesus, the, the scripture says that the scripture might be fulfilled. So there has to be at least one verse in the Old Testament that alludes to Jesus Christ on the cross being thirsty. And lo and behold, it's tucked in Psalm chapter 69. This is precious because I would encourage you not to think of the, you know, the Old Testament. Well, that was, you know, that was, that was back then. And wow, we're in New Testament, you know, kind of out with the old, in with the new type of an attitude. I would encourage you not to think that way because the Old Testament is, uh, is paramount to the New Testament, as I'm sure you realize. They gave him, it says here in verse 21, uh, yeah, verse 21, they gave him also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. As you read through the Old Testament and all these little prophecies, just they're kind of scattered, kind of like jewels in the sand, sort of. You, you don't maybe not catch them at first, but once you get digging, you start saying, oh, look at that. Right there, Psalm 69, 21. They gave uh, gall for my meat, and, they, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's exactly what happened as we go back to John chapter 19. Friends, are you encouraged to know that the Bible is a unified book, cover to cover? Listen, we don't have to wonder and go, oh, man, it would be such a great book if there wasn't those six controversies, those six... Um, uh, contradictions in the Bible. Friends, it's God's word. How can there be contradictions in it? it does, that doesn't make sense. That's, that's like calling something a square circle. No, it's a good circle. I love the corners. What? Circles don't have corners. You know? Uh, oh, it's a great book. It's full of mistakes, but it's a great book. I go, what? No, 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 no. It can't be, friends. Like, this is the word of God. This is Holy Spirit inspired. This is God breathed. And God has, has, has recorded these verses in that little verse tucked away in Psalm 69. I wonder if the psalmist, I, I don't know, my, I don't know, but do you think the psalmist even realized that he was actually prophesying about the death of deity some probably over a thousand years later? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe he did, but I don't know. Uh, it's just amazing how this book is so unified. And this is why when people tell me, oh yeah, yeah, that's a nice book, you know, a bunch of fishermen who didn't know how to read and write, you know, write down some nice, you know, fairy tales about how to be nice to your neighbor. And I sometimes have to bite my tongue and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, what are you talking about? There's so many prophecies in the scriptures. We're going to look at them, more of them next time. But um, this, this is just such an amazing book. Uh, such an amazing God who recorded it for us. 
not only the cry of the human one, but also the cry of the holy one. Now this is really what I wanted to focus on this morning because of, because of the, the power of what's being said here and the power of who's saying it. Because I'd like you to take a little trip back with me quickly to Exodus chapter 17. And in Exodus chapter 17, Jesus Christ is the rock. And Jesus Christ is, is the rock of our salvation. And whenever you see the word rock, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, he is the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways of judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he, says Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. And some, whenever you see the, a reference to a rock, you can almost mark it down, friends, that it's a, if it's in the Old Testament, it's a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ. And there's verses in 1 Peter 2 that we could turn to that would back that up. But it says here in, in, in Exodus chapter 17, it's in the verse I want to look at just quickly is verse 6. Behold, I stand before thee uh, there upon the rock in Horeb, a reference to Jesus. And there they may, you shall spite, smite the rock, and there shall come, what out of it? Water out of it. Why? So that the people can watch it. I mean, who doesn't like watching running water? I mean, I, I, I rather enjoy it. Many people enjoy it. That's why they all, um, pretty much if you're in southern Ontario, you're going to go to the, where the most water falls, pretty much on the earth, and that's called Niagara Falls, right? Everybody likes to watch water move. But the purpose of this water wasn't so that they could just watch water moving. Everybody loves a good waterfall. But that the people may what? Drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so this, this wonderful verse is, is very per pertinent to our discussion today about Jesus Christ, the rock, the rock, of, the cornerstone that the builders rejected. In Ephesians and Hebrews talks about that. This, this rock has been smitten and out of it flows water. I wonder if we've heard anything like that before in the book of John. I wonder, I wonder if we went over to John chapter 4, if we'd see anything about that. As, let's go over to John chapter 4. And Jesus is having a conversation. There's more probably books in evangelism today than have ever been in print. But I think John 4 is the best of them all. John 4 is having a one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus Christ, one-on-one -on -one conversation. The best evangelism by far is one-on-one. -on -one, just you with your neighbor, you with your co-worker, you with a total stranger, you with your parent, you with your child. One-on-one. -on -one. And it's important at a coffee table, in a living room, doesn't matter. Here it happened to be at a well. And the Lord Jesus speaking to this woman at the well who's an adulterer. She's had five husbands and the man that she's with now is not even her husband. Jesus turns to her and he says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and, what's the next word? Who it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to think of Jesus Christ, to think of, of the gift of God, not so much as a what, but a who. The gift of God is not what Jesus has to offer. The gift of God is Jesus Christ himself. Amen? And we can be tricked into thinking that way. To thinking, oh, you know, he's got the best plan going. Well, yeah, actually he does. But the gift of God is not a what. It's a who. And I believe Jesus Christ is trying to make that point. When he said, and if you knew the gift of God and who, the conjunction and joining these two thoughts, not separating them, and who it is. That saith unto thee, give me to drink. You'd have asked to this rock, and he would have given you what? What kind of water? Dead water. Dead water? 
There's a big difference between dead water and living water, right? You ever been to a place and it's stagnant water? It's like, <laughs> I don't even want to be near it. Don't even, talk, don't even get me started on the, on the infestation of bugs and mosquitoes and stench. And, yeah, it's not that fun. But to have flowing water, to have vibrant water, this is not even that. I mean, there's dead water, there's moving water, there's vibrant water, without, then there's living water. And that's what Jesus, this is the point. This is the point. Keeping in mind that John chapter 19 follows John chapter 4. And John chapter 4 leads us pretty soon into John chapter 7. Let's go into John 7. And in John chapter 7, this is pertinent. This is, this is powerful because we can't miss it. In John chapter 7, verse 37. And in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried. There's still a need to stand up and to lift your voice. Not just in these buildings, but also on the streets, as Jesus did. And he said, Jesus stood and he cried, If any man thirst, interesting, let him, let him pray this prayer. Is that what he said? Let him uh, make a decision to ask me into their heart. No, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him Come unto me and, and drink. This is, this, is just, this is just amazing. This is just so precious. Oh, and by the way, how exactly Jesus, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if Jesus kind of clarified a little bit, well, what exactly are you talking about, Jesus? Because there's all kinds of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And it, when push comes to shove, you know, the Bible is just kind of a, a secondary thought. I listened to a podcast this week of this guy that I know. I actually went to school with this guy. And uh, he, he preached for like, 21 minutes and he mentioned the Bible once. I think he quoted a verse once. In t well, one verse here and one verse here in 21 minutes. Uh, anyway, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just kind of murky. He's kind of what's he, almost speaking in code. It would be great if Jesus Christ could clarify for us, what is he talking about? How do you come unto me? There's lots of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, yet the Bible and prayer and fasting and, 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 and worship just kind of, they're kind of almost secondary things. Jesus says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Could you clarify that for us, Jesus? Sure. He that what? Believeth in me or believeth on me? My Bible says believeth on me. I don't know if... I think there's a difference. Most of the time, the Bible doesn't say believe in God. It says to believe on God. What's the difference? Only one letter. The devil believes in God and he's not going to heaven. Okay? The devils believe in him and they, and they're gonna, they tremble and they're going to perish in the, in the lake of fire. You can believe in God and perish but to believe on God is completely different. To, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not in, your, not in yourself. Not in your heritage. Not in your upbringing. But in Jesus Christ. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus Christ is quoting Psalm 69, verse 21. Let me ask you a question, friends. Do you know what Jesus is talking about here? 
Like, is this just a, an academia uh, uh, talk that sounds kind of interesting? Oh, he's talking about Exodus and he's talking about Psalms. He's tied it into John 9, 7 and 4. And, oh, that's interesting. Is this just academia for you? Are you going, hallelujah, it is true, it is true, it is true, it is true in my heart. He has changed me. He is, I am not the person I used to be. Praise God. Is, is your heart leaping for joy as you read John 7 and you say, if any man come unto me, let him thirst. If he thirst, come unto me and drink. I have drunken, I have drunken deeply. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. Or is it all just, yeah, Kirk is after 12. When are you going to be done? Like, really? Like, we're talking about, we're talking about the words of eternal life here. We're talking about God in the flesh saying, you thirsty? Here's where you need to come. Here's where you need to come. You need to come to me, Jesus says. Come unto me. Don't come unto my denomination. Don't come unto my, my sect. Come unto me, Jesus says, and you will drink. And he that drinks out of his belly. And the word belly is very interesting there. It's not this particular spot. It's, it's, it's really out of his inner being is what it means. Out of his inner being will flow, not just trickle, but will flow rivers, not just a river, but plural rivers, rivers of not just water, but living water. Is it true in your life, friends? I'm not saying you gotta, you know, I'm not saying you gotta go out and, to Turkey tomorrow and, and, and turn Turkey upside down with the gospel, even though we do need more foreign missionaries. There's no two ways about it. But I'm saying, am I talking? Is, is this hitting home to you? Are you saying, yes, thank God, it's true. He does give living water. Or is it just something that sounds interesting? I don't know your heart today, but I trust that you have come to Jesus and drunk deeply of his living waters. It's interesting, the word repent doesn't appear in the book of John. But uh, that doesn't mean that we don't need to repent. We need to repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus. And you ever heard that saying, God has no grandchildren? The faith of our parents isn't going to get us to heaven. We need to, we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ ourselves. Let's turn to, uh, back to John 19 and wrap this up here. He thirsted. How is it that Jesus Christ could thirst? Well, he's a man. The prophecy must be fulfilled. Actually, there's one other verse I want to look at first before. It's John 16. John 16, and then we'll go to, excuse me, Luke 16, and then we're going to go back to John 19. In Luke chapter 16, in Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16 has come under some pretty harsh criticism in recent years, especially by those who call themselves Bible scholars. But to give you the short version, some people say that Luke 16 is just a parable. Well, if it is just a parable, it's the only time in the entire Bible that a name, a specific name of a human being is mentioned, and that being, name being Lazarus. Remember in 1619, there was a rich man, he dies, he's clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day, and there was a leper, uh, a, a certain beggar, whose name was Lazarus, who had his gate full of sores. So some people say, oh, this is just a, just a, just a parable. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that, because for various reasons, but one of them 
that Lazarus' name is specifically mentioned here. But you look down in verse number 23, and in hell the rich man died, verse 22, at the end of the verse 22, the rich man died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he seeth Lazarus afar off, and, excuse me, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cries out. That's interesting. Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may pull me out of hell. He doesn't ask to be removed from hell, and this is one of the reasons why this is called, you know, they think this is hyperbole, you know, crazy, like dip your finger in water, put it on my tongue, I mean, give me a break, that's, that's minuscule, that's just, what's the point? The point is that hell is real, and that God is holy. And it says here, there's a request that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Here it is, you look up here if you wish that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. That's not a lot of water, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd rather do this. Well, what? What's the... Friends, hell is real. And the reason hell is real is because God is holy. And one of the re- illustrations I use on the street sometimes when people mock hell, I say, listen, if you, if you tell a lie... To me, you're probably not going to jail. But if you tell a lie to a police officer, you're going to get in trouble. If you tell a lie under oath to a federal judge in a court of law, it's called perjury, you're probably going to jail for a minimum of six months, or at least you should. What's the the point? The point is that the lie is wrong in all three cases. But the the severity of the lie is determined by who who you lied it to. If you lie to me, you're not getting in trouble. If you lie to a federal judge, you're getting in trouble. This is why the Bible says in uh, Revelation 21 and verse 8 lists a bunch of sins, and then it says, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Because when we lie, ladies and gentlemen, we evidence that uh, Romans 3 is correct, that let God be true and every man a liar, and that liars have no fellowship with the truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ, John 14. I am the way and the truth in the life. So, so in John, in John, excuse me, Luke 16, a man who is in hell, he asks for one thing. He asks for one thing. Keep in mind, this man fared sumptuously. This guy ate good his whole life. This guy drank lots of good stuff in his course of his life. But he never, ever turned to Jesus. He never, ever repented of his sin and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ like the man did in Luke 23 when he was being executed right next to Jesus Christ. This man thought he had everything. And the second he died, he realized he had nothing. The man had everything to eat and drink that he wanted in his life. And now he will beg. He will beg and plead for a drop of what? Wine? Did the man ask for wine? Did the man ask for Coca-Cola? Well, no. Did, what did he ask for? Did he ask for milk? He asked for water. Isn't that interesting? He could have asked for, he drank probably a hundred different thing, beverages in his life, and here he is asking for water. Huh, isn't that interesting? Friends, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Let's go back to John 19 and wrap it up. 
In John 19, the man, uh, this man in Luke 16 asked for water. Why? What's the point? Here it is. Everything I pretty much said in the last 20 minutes really brings me to what I want to say right here, right now. So please don't miss it. He thirsted to deliver men and women from the thirst of hell. Did you hear what I just said? He thirsted to deliver men and women and boys and girls from the thirst of hell. There's no other reason why the Son of God should thirst. He's, he created every water molecule on the planet. He, he's the one who figured out and patented H2O. And he knows how many water molecules are on the planet right now. And the, the Son of God thirsts for several reasons. That the prophecy might be fulfilled. And that he thirsted to deliver men and women from the thirst of hell. There are people in hell right now that are very, very thirsty. And Jesus Christ, on the cross, experienced hell. Not in a flames, not in a, I guess I should qualify that a little bit. But he, he certainly, certainly tasted more hell than you and I will ever experience, that's for sure. Because somebody said, uh, how's that go now if I remember? Uh, live once, die twice. Uh, live twice, die once. In other words, if you, re if you reject Jesus Christ, you will die twice. Not just physically, you will die spiritually. And here Jesus Christ is taking the punishment that we deserve, ladies and gentlemen. What a reason to sing, hallelujah. What a savior, amen? Do you know him today? Do you know him? Is he your thirst? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, you're an awesome God. And it's, it's just, it's, just it's, it's, almost, it's almost unfathomable for us to contemplate Jesus Christ, the creator of water, the creator of everything, saying, I thirst. Yet he did it. And it happened. And it shows us his humanity. And it shows us his deity. We thank you for the cry of the human one. And we also thank you for this cry of the holy one. The one who thirsted that prophecy might be fulfilled. To show us that your word is consistent from cover to cover. That we can trust you and we can trust your word. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ thirsted to deliver us from the thirst of hell. And I pray, Father God, for every soul that's here. I don't know every heart, but obviously you do. And I pray, Father God, that each and every person in the room will examine their own heart and see if they be in the faith. Lord, to, to test the spirits, to ask themselves, am I, am I just playing a game or am I actually... Am I actually, do I thirst after righteousness? Like I thirst after other things? Lord, I, I know that, uh, I can't remember who said it. I think it might have been La Leonard Ravenhill said, I can tell how much God you have by how much entertainment you need. And we tend to thirst after other things. But Lord, help us to hunger and thirst after you. The message is for every one of us in the room. For those who aren't saved today, may they, may they repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And may they experience, not just in their head, but in their heart, John 3, John 7, 37. 
Let whoever, whoever thirsts come unto me, and out of his belly will flow living waters. It doesn't come from, from religion. It comes from Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for this. And for us who are saved, we can have a tendency to kind of grow stale and, yeah, done that, been there. But Father God, help us. Help us to look to you. Help us to realize that it's all about you. It always has been, it always will be. And help us not to grow complacent. Help us not to go, grow cold. Help us not to grow uh, indifferent to the souls of men and women and to the, the souls of our own family and to the souls of our, of our own uh, brethren who are sitting in this very room with us. Help us to truly love you and to love each other. And help us, Lord, if we're going through a season of dryness and we don't really actually want to read the Word of God, help us, Lord, to just replenish, replenish that, uh, replenish what we need through you, through your Word, so that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. He just finished saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and very, very soon he's going to say, it is finished. But today here we, we study this little phrase, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I thirst. God, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. Help us to look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.